1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join
0: the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: It's a
2: brand new year of the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show from MILB.com. Kind of. I mean, it's a new calendar year. It doesn't really feel like a new year for us until like spring training.
0: Oh, okay. I thought you were right. going to get all Neil deGrasse Tyson on me and say, "Well, <laughs> technically, <laughs> technically, January first, it's not really actually cosmic."
2: The Gregorian subject. calendar, and based yeah. on the way the moon rotates, um, yeah. But you know, like Happy New Year, sort of. But like, if you're a baseball person, it's like Happy New Year is like pitchers and catchers report. So like, we're kind of six weeks from the new year, but we're also in the new year. We just get to celebrate it multiple times.
0: Yeah, I was actually thinking of, like, four or three strikes this week, uh, how we should tackle this. And I'm like, oh, we can do predictions. And I'm like, well, that's just going to sit there until April when we True. do predictions again. True. So we're going to do something a little different. We're going to do what everybody else does. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's not going to be quite predictions.
2: It's going to be good. How? Uh, by the way, he's Sam Dykstra. I'm Tyler Maughan. Um This latest edition of the show before the show is episode number 141. Is that right? Goodness That is gracious. right. 141.
0: Well, it's not that's technically sorry. right. In the episodes in which we have numbered things, it is the 141st numbered episode. Right, right, There have been right, a couple of right, specials right. we've thrown we've in there. We've had a couple
2: non-numbered episodes. Yeah, non-canonical, as we call them. <laughs> um, how were the holidays for you?
0: They were good. They were good. Uh, as I told people, and you had the same experience, I got to spend it with my my nephew for the first time. Yes. Uh, we have nephews used virtually
2: the same age.
0: Yes, they are virtually the same age. Yeah. Um, so we had our first white Christmas or his first Christmas was a white Christmas, I'd say, uh, which was really neat. Uh, he won't remember any of it, so we're, we're all talking about regifting him for next year. Yeah, might uh, as well. We are not a great family in that. He doesn't I'm care. Not. Yeah, he got <laughs> he got way too many things, anyways. He's got five things he can ride on, and he can barely sit up. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, um, I got him his prepared. first pair of Jordans, so nice. he's he's all hip and with it. Um, but yeah, that that was the bulk of my my holiday was focusing on in on that and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but how was yours?
2: It was good. It was, uh, I was in New York. Yeah. My nephew is four months old. Yours is five, four and a half.
0: Uh, five. Five and a half.
2: Five and a half. So, you know, they could go to school together someday. Um, Yeah, no, it was great. And same, we uh, we had a white Christmas as well, uh, which I was not expecting, and woke up and looked outside, and there was, you know, not a ton of snow, but a dusting of snow, which was pretty cool. Um, And, uh, yeah, it was great. Got a chance to hang out with my nephew and my niece, who is uh, three and a half years old. And, um, and we had a bunch of fun. It's weird because like I get to this stage and we do Christmas with my sister's family in New York. So my mom and my dad and I, we don't do our Christmas until after actual Christmas. It's January 3rd and we're recording this. We still haven't done it. So I, um, and I actually haven't even bought their presents. Um, so (laughs) at some point, one thing to,
0: a yeah. Publicly, I guess. Yeah.
2: At some point, we'll uh, we'll exchange gifts. But no, it was great. I took a I took a much needed break from Twitter, as you will hear snarky comments about later. So that was fantastic, and I know everybody else probably enjoyed it more than me, based on. All the feedback that I got on the tweets, um, so that was good. And uh, in New Year's, I didn't do anything, and I loathe New Year's, and so not doing anything is terrific. And um, and yeah, it being somebody who lives in New York, you've never done the Times Square thing, right?
0: I've never done the Times Square thing. What, how much Although, money well,
2: would you have to be paid to do the Times Square thing?
0: Um, see, I actually like Times Square. I am very much in the minority. Like, I live here year-round, and I'm still a kid from a small town in Massachusetts who's like, Times Square is in the place that I live, and I still get starry. Yeah, starry-eyed it's and cool. All kind of stuff.
2: I think Times Square is great. I just don't think standing in 10-degree weather for 16 hours in a place with no bathrooms and a million people holds Oh, yeah,
0: no, no, for sure. Actually, <laughs> my, my friend in yours, uh, Kelsey Hannigan, was in Times Square this year huh um so we'll have to talk to her about that I at some point breakdown. yeah she was she was inside for part of it though and i'm okay. sure she had access to a bathroom so i don't yeah. think it was the yeah that's not the, the full, full experience, experience but then. it's the much preferred experience
2: you have to you have to risk the the life of your kidneys in order to uh to get the full-on times square experience right Something like that. Sounds fun. Um, so anyway, happy 2018, to everybody, and welcome into the episode uh, number 141 of the show before the show. Coming up here in just a little while, we are going to get a chance to catch up with Seattle Mariners 27 first-round selection Evan White, the first baseman from Kentucky, will join us coming up here shortly. He was great. We caught up with Evan a little bit ago, and uh, it was really good to get a chance to talk to him. Um, but before we get into it for this week's edition, um, thanks for tuning in wherever you found us, the show before the show. We're at MILB.com slash podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, we are on the Stitcher app, we are on Google Play, and wherever else you find your podcast, you can give us a rating and a review and a subscription. And um, somebody the other day I was talking to in an out-of-work context had come across the podcast and said, like in an almost insultingly surprised way, you got really good ratings on that podcast. And I was like, well, what would suggest that I wouldn't? They're like, man, for some moron like you, kind of surprised how many five stars you got. So it was good. man,
0: I will take pleasantly surprised wherever (laughs) I can find pleasantly surprised.
2: That's true. It's not a bad thing. Um, So let's get into it. Strike one this week. Sam came up with these ideas. We are going to go with resolutions for 2018. Rather than doing predictions, um, you know, things we expect to see, some resolutions for baseball in the year 2018. We are going to start on the side of the junior circuit, the American League for strike one. We'll go to the National League for strike two. Sam, your AL-related resolution for 2018.
0: Yeah, um, part of my resolution is to keep part of my three strikes uh, discussions a little tighter, so I'm going to try that here on this first one here. But um, I think we should all resolve to be patient with Brendan McKay. Brendan McKay, the fourth overall pick last year by the Rays. Uh, expected to be a two-way player with them entering its first full season. Uh, probably an above-average pitcher if he just chose to be that. Would probably be above-average first baseman if he chose to be that. He's going to try to do both. Uh, the Rays want him to do both. You know, if he had been either one, because he was so dominant at Louisville in either capacity, if he just chose one way, he would probably be starting out next year at Class A Advanced Charlotte or maybe even Double A Montgomery. Um, I wouldn't be surprised because they're trying out some new stuff with him if they start him out at Class A bowling green. No matter where he goes, uh I think we all have to be patient with him because we're gonna be comparing him to Shohei Otani, who has done this before at the at the highest level in his native Japan. Uh Otani's kind of used to this kind of stuff. McKay doing it every day, uh or not every day, but you know, pitching every fifth day and uh working himself into the lineup every other day you know it's one thing to do it in college when you're playing a couple times a week when you're doing it one day after the other it's much more difficult Um, so even if he struggles in either direction uh, at the beginning of this year just preach patience I would love to see this experiment work out Uh, I don't want Otani to be you know to steal a phrase from the NBA and Kristaps Porzingis I don't want him to be a unicorn I want to see this more in baseball Um, so We already know Hunter Green's not going to be a two-way player. I want Brendan McKay to get every opportunity, and that can start with us just kind of being patient with both sides of the ball for him. Uh, So that's probably my American League resolution, I would say.
2: That's a good one. Um, I'm going to go with a team in the same division. That's the Baltimore Orioles. And my resolution is that the Orioles figure out a plan. <laughs> um, it's, uh, figure it, out. figure it out, Baltimore. It's, it's strange. The Orioles three out of the last six seasons have made the postseason. They made the National League or the American league championship series in 2014. Um, they had a very successful run for five years from 2016 back through the 2012 season. Um, they did not have a very good 2017. And now all of a sudden it's like, ah, eh, we just might as well blow it up. Um, Last year, 75 and 87. Uh, They did not make the postseason. They finished last place in the American League East, 18 games out of the first. Um, But the season prior, they won 89 games. Two seasons prior to that, they won 96 games. Not that it's the same exact team, but that's still a, a talented roster. And the discussion has now turned to, if and when the Orioles will deal Manny Machado. And it just seems like it went so quickly from this is a team with a surprising window and a difficult division that can really make some noise for a while in the American League to, all right, let's just blow it up and start over. Um, And yet I'm not really sure that's going to happen. And for the Orioles, you're at a stage right now where Manny Machado is your biggest poker chip. Um, but if he becomes a free agent in 2019 for the 2019 season as he will and you don't have him dealt beforehand the time is running short for you to be able to rebuild your system around a franchise type of player like Manny Machado is say the Orioles get to the trade deadline this year they're not in it but Machado has had a fantastic season and they spin him off to a contender you'll probably get a pretty good haul Um, but there there seems to be a lot of there's one foot on the gas and one on the brakes in Baltimore, and I'm not entirely sure what plan we're going to see going forward. If you're going to blow it up and you're going to start over and you're going to try to build that system, do it. And that's easier said than done because it's not like there are suitors just lining up to hand you five top prospects in exchange for Manny Machado apparently right now. Um, but there's got to be more clarity, I think, in what this the next steps are for that organization.
0: Yeah, it's funny when you – said that a uh, metaphor of you know there's one foot on the brakes one foot on the gas I feel like the foot on the gas is the offense right now you know when you have Adam Jones and Trey Mancini's coming off a good year and Tim Beckham seemed like he was a good pickup and obviously any team with like Chris Davis and Mark Trumbo is gonna have tons of power
2: Jonathan and Scope
0: p- yeah Jonathan Scope same way uh and then pitching this is kind of why they're considering spinning off Manny Machado is they just don't have the pitching right behind Kevin Gaussman and Dylan Bundy uh, at least sustainable, sustainability-wise. Dylan Bundy had a good year last year, but trying to trust his health long-term any anyway uh, is not going to work out very well or is certainly not a, a good business plan. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they would love to turn Machado into three p- good pitching prospects that are close and ready and all that kind of stuff, but... Uh, yeah, they need to figure out exactly how they're going to tweak this. If they're just going to try to beat teams eight to seven and see right. if that gets them 85 wins or, uh, if they're just going to go for 72 wins and, you know, to punch up the system, my personal resolution for them, spend money on the international market, market. Dang it. Like, yeah. just don't do that. And then you w- sit around and wonder why don't we have depth? Well, I get it that that's a, you know, they're saving money and they don't see the reason for investment there but you know don't be sitting around on your hands and wondering why your hands hurt like this is what happens
2: just call up the pride of the sydney blue Sox, alex wells just do it right now (laughs) castle south wales product who uh dominated last year in class a Del Marva. strike two this week sam national league resolutions over on the senior circuit side what do you got
0: yeah, mine, mine is for the Phillies. Um, I feel like the Phillies. Yeah, you know, I've really loved this system for a couple of years now. Uh, this year it feels like they're really going to pop. They did that a little bit last year. Uh, Reese Hoskins obviously getting called up. Nick Williams was there. J.P. Crawford got his first taste. Jorge Alfaro was up uh, for a while, and then you got Scott Kingery, who's right behind them. He should make his major league debut at some point. Uh, they traded Freddie Galvis, so. He, you can almost be certain that J.P. Crawford is going to be the starting shortstop on opening day. Um, they, they're just another one of those teams that look ready to pop in terms of they have the internal options. Uh, Aaron Nola is looking more and more like an ace with every coming year. And, you know, if they get to that borderline contendership all through what they've done internally, you know, they're going to be a team that's going to be entering next year with lots of money, obviously, if they're not spending much on on uh, the roster as it is on a bunch of young players that opens up money for a Manny Machado, for a Bryce Harper, you know, anybody else who's on the market next year, the Phillies should be right in line with. And I think it's more fun when teams are able to build in this way, so I just want that model to continue to find success. And I think the the Phillies are that team that can kind of – Follow what the Astros have done, what the Cubs have done, uh, you know, just to name the last two World Series champions, you know, what the Yankees are kind of doing with a little bit more money spent, obviously, or what they had been doing before they traded for Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, so just seeing the Phillies be that team to follow that path would makes our job a lot more fun because it just means – teams are really putting something into player development. Uh, and if they can find success in 2018, I think that means that trend could continue to find success going forward.
2: It is kind of funny, just as a side note, that, you know, 2017 everybody was like, uh, you know, the n- n- people outside of – Of Yankees fandom, we're like, oh, this is like a likable Yankees team. I'm going to have to like the Yankees. They built from within. They've got all these likable young players, whatever. Then they go out and they make the Stanton deal, and everybody's like, all right, good. I can keep hating them. That's fine. (laughs) It's kind of funny. Um, I'm going to go across the country to the, uh, the San Diego Padres organization, and that system is quietly turning into one of the best in baseball. And there are a couple of guys in that system who my resolution for 2018 is I would really like to see get extended. Time together at some level, and Sam and I were talking about this before we started recording. And Sam had a good point. It'll likely come if it does come this season. It will likely come at AAA El Paso, and those two guys are infielders Luis Urias and Fernando Tatis Jr. Tatis is a shortstop. He's a true shortstop. He's a guy who's going to be there and is going to stick there. Urias is a guy who can play both middle infield positions and seems like he could probably play pretty much anywhere else you put him. Um, But he started last year as a 19-year-old in the Texas League. He was 19 until June. Um, Fernando Tatis actually just celebrated his 19th birthday yesterday. We're recording this on Wednesday the 3rd. So he'll be 19 for the entirety of this season. And he finished last year in the Texas League at 18 years old. So one would think we'll probably see Luis Arias climb up to AAA El Paso to start the 2018 season, especially because of the success that he had at AA. He's generally the youngest player at every league uh, where he plays. Um, he started his California League career at 18. Um, he was in the Midwest League, I think it's 16, 17 years old, something like that. Um, so he's a guy who is no stranger to those challenges of climbing the ladder quicker and at an earlier stage in his professional development than a lot of other guys and I think Fernando Tatis Jr. is very similar in that regard. Tatis is a really fun guy to talk to. He's a very infectious, energetic type of kid um, and he's got all kinds of tools. Last year was terrific with, um, with Fort Wayne in the Midwest League then jumped right over Lake Elsinore. He didn't even stop in Class A Advanced and he finished the year with 14 games with San Antonio in the Texas League and so it wouldn't surprise Me to just see the Padres keep him there, and if Tatis finds his legs quickly in double A, I would think we'll get to see those two guys together for a little while, and that would be pretty incredible to see a 20 year old Luis Arias and a 19 year old Fernando Tatis Jr. at the highest level of the minor leagues, if it happens, playing together this season. I think that'd be pretty cool,
0: yeah. And just to kind of add on to what you're saying about the infectious personality, uh, MLB Pipeline put out a tweet about which. Son of a major leaguer. Would you rather have it shortstop, Bo Bichette or Fernando Tatis Jr.? And the two of them just went back and forth, like praising the other one. It was, (laughs) it might have been the nicest Twitter exchange I've ever seen. That is like Tatis called Bichette Mr. 400 at one point. (laughs) All this stuff. If go back in the archives, give them all the faves you can. It 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 was really nice to see, And, and just nice to know that these guys are following each other. Um, you know, everybody is aware of what's going on in the minor leagues, even if they're not playing them every day or, or playing each other every day or all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's just, yeah, more pleasantness like that in 2018. I think that should be all of our resolutions, regardless of league.
2: I agree. I agree. Regardless of, uh, you know, of any context, just be better. Yeah, to just each right. Other people. Yes. Um, that's strike two strike three this week, Sam prospect projections already coming out for the 2018 season and the American league East is the first one up. It is on the site right now. Take us through your, uh, your 2018 prospect projections on the East side in the AL.
0: Yeah, this is, I think either the third or fourth year we've done this. Now, um, we use the steamer 600 projections that you can find on Fangraphs. So I linked to it in the piece. Um, you're more than welcome to go through any of this yourself. It's all obviously open. And, uh, you know, so most of this stuff you can probably preview yourself if you really wanted to. But for our standpoint, we group it by division. We put all the top 30 prospects who have at least some experience at double A or above. So pre- prospects who have a legitimate chance to make the major leagues next year or if they're a top 100 prospect and who you keep asking us, when are they coming up? When are they coming up? When are they coming up? I throw them in there as well um, just to show you some of these guys really are quite far away. I actually put in a projection for Mickey Moniak today, uh, in which he was a minus three war player in the major leagues right now. So that should answer your questions about him. But, uh, the way steamer 600 works is it assumes that all position players get 600 plate appearances. All catchers get 450 plate appearances. Uh, starting pitchers get 200 innings, relievers get 65 innings. And it just expands that out and you know, it doesn't try to figure out who's going to get playing time or who's going to start or who's going to sit, all that kind of stuff. It's what would happen if they were up for a full season. Uh, and, you know, it's American League East, so I have the Red Sox, I have the Orioles, I have the the Rays and uh, in there, but also the and the Blue Jays, but also the Yankees is where we're going to kind of focus here very quickly. Uh, the Yankees, surprisingly or not, you know, they traded for Giancarlo Stanton, they now have some of the best sluggers in the game all in the same lineup. And yet somehow that lineup still has holes. Starling Castro uh, went to the Marlins in that trade. Uh, Todd Frazier is now a free agent. They traded Chase Headley in kind of a cost-cutting move, so they have a hole at third base. Do the Could those holes be filled internally? Steamer 600 thinks probably yes. Uh, Miguel Andujar, who had a great season last year, at Double A Trenton and Triple A Scranton, got a couple games with the Yankees in the middle of the season. Uh, they think he could be a fairly strong fill-in at third base. Uh, they think he could hit 266, 311, 425 with 19 home runs if he was given 600 plate appearances. To kind of boil that down, that would be a 93 wRC plus. 100 is average, so he's slightly below average, but that's still pretty good for a guy who, you know, is still a prospect. Would uh, have his prospect eligibility for the first month of the season, probably. Uh, So to start out as a little below average, it's good for him. him. I think he could work himself to be an above average hitter by the end of the season. Uh, They think he would be worth 1.8 war over the course of the season. If that doesn't sound great, again, it's because he's very young. But with the, the way they can fill all those other holes, you know, when Indahars would probably hit eighth or ninth in that lineup, Uh, They don't need him to be that great, Uh, allow him to get his at-bats, get comfortable in the majors. I think he probably should be the leading candidate to be starting third baseman on opening day. Uh, But they also got Ronald Torres. Tyler Wade has been mentioned at that position. They have some other options, guys who should be bench options right now until Andahar shows he's ready. Um, But... You know, Andahar has seen the majors before. I'd uh, love to see him get that shot. And Seimer thinks he he's at least worthy of a very long look. Uh, the other interesting question is the guy who's right now MLB.com's number one overall prospect. Or excuse me. He was the number one overall prospect until Otani signed. He's now number two. And uh, Glaber Torres, who is normally a shortstop. He's moved around a little bit some time at second, some time at third. Uh, the Yankees don't want to get him stuck behind Didi Gregorius. Um, But uh, unfortunately, he tore his UCL in his left elbow last year, missed the entire second half of the season. Um, So there are some questions about, you know, what is it going to be like when he recovers? Obviously, it's his non-throwing elbow. Uh, He's a position player. He doesn't rely on his arm as much. It's going to be an easier rehab. It's going to be an easier return for him. He should be ready to go come spring training. But, you know, you still want to see him back in Scranton. Uh, He's not necessarily going to be an option right away. That's probably good. Uh, Steamer 600 sees him as being even less of, of a below average or a further below average hitter than Andahar would be. Uh, his WRC plus is 85. Uh, they see him hitting 13 homers and 18 ste- and getting 18 steals over his 600 plate appearances. That works out to a 1.1 WAR uh, in total. And I think Torres eventually could fit. Fill that second base spot. He's certainly athletic enough to play the position. That's not a worry. I think he probably would stick at shortstop in most other organizations. Uh, but Gregorius had such a breakout year last year and has been tracking up all the way. You don't want to fidget with him too much. Um, and I think somebody like Torres or Wade is much more suited to fill that second base spot, at least initially, until Torres can show he can get back out there and get healthy and, and show that... he's ready to go and that the bat is as good as it was last year over a slightly longer span in triple a um but by may or june you know these these projections are for april onward you know he could certainly improve his projections by being a great hitter at triple a and that those projections would trade change because there's a new data set included um but you know by may or june by the time super two concerns are kind of wiped away I think you could see Torres manning the keystone in the Bronx, uh, which is what a lot of us want to see anyways. uh, But that would just make an already talented lineup just another piece of talent in there. And the Yankees lineup, already scary, but the fact that they can fill holes that they've created through trades and through some other roster moves, the fact that they have the prospects to fill those holes already, ready uh, at AAA or, you know, competing for major league jobs this spring is fascinating. And uh, I think it's going to be really interesting to follow that camp in the, the weeks and months to come.
2: So that is up on the site right now. You can check out the AL East prospect projections, and we got them coming for the other five divisions in Major League Baseball from Sam as well. And that'll do it for this week's uh, inaugural 2018 edition of Three Strikes. Coming up, we are going to head to the Seattle Mariners system and first base prospect in 2017 first-round draft selection, Evan White, who joins us from Frigid, Ohio, next. The second ranked prospect in the Seattle Mariners organization and a guy getting ready for his first full year in professional baseball. Joining us on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast, the 17th overall pick in the 2017 draft is Mariners first base prospect, Evan White. Evan, welcome to the show. How's the offseason treating you?
3: Oh, first off, thanks for having me. But it's, uh, it's been really nice, uh, you know, spending with some uh, friends and family back home, uh, you know, working hard at the same time. So it's been, it's been great so far.
2: When you get to this stage, it's kind of like you get over that hump of the holidays and New Year's and all that stuff, and now it's really, it becomes kind of real. I mean, you're going to be going to your first spring training in six, eight weeks um, and really getting into full-on baseball mode for your first wire-to-wire campaign in a major league organization. What has the offseason been like for you in terms of, I know toward the the end of last year, you were shut down with a a quad injury and then getting prepped for 2018 and knowing that you're going to be, you know, potentially playing 140 games, um, that type of schedule. What's this offseason been like getting ready for 2018.
3: Yeah, well, uh, at first, like you said, um I got I got held up uh, to the very end. So uh, you know, when guys were starting to shut down, I was I was finally feeling really good again and healthy. So I was I was you know getting antsy and ready to go. Uh, but you know, they told me to uh, to take my time because obviously this first full season, there's going to be a lot more bats and you know a lot more a lot more playing. So uh, it was kind of getting that mindset, like I don't have to to play. Uh, you know, prepare year round. Obviously, you still have to prepare year round. Um, but like in the college college. Uh, Baseball side of things, like you're you're playing constantly and stuff like that. So, you know all the fall ball and stuff like that. So it's definitely uh, a little bit different, uh, but it's been good. Um, like I told you earlier, I've uh, um, been able to be home for a while, uh, so being able to spend time with family and, and close friends has been great. Uh, but also having uh, some great workout facilities back home, that you know, gets me ready for uh, my first full season. So it's it's been awesome. Uh, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh, definitely getting to some uh, warmer weather. Uh, but you know, really just uh, looking forward <laughs> to playing baseball and, and getting out there. So.
2: Take us through your debut season. You get drafted, you jump right in, you start quickly. June 24th is your first game with the Everett Aqua Sox in the Northwest League. You play 14 games, and you really start heating up right before the injury hits. You had hits in six straight, you had three hits in two of those games, and you you bumped the, all the numbers up, and it seems like you're really kind of starting to feel yourself. Then the injury hits, and I would imagine there's a lot of frustration that comes along with that. But how, when you look back at that first taste of pro ball, how does it sit with you now You know, six months removed?
3: Um, you know, there was definitely a lot of learning in, the, you know, that, uh, the whole first process. You know, there was a lot of ups and downs in, the, in a short period of time. Um, I think it was really good to kind of see myself uh, grow and, um, you know, see some success before, obviously, the injury, like you said. Uh, but, you know, I met a lot of great people along the way, um, you know, while I was playing, but also when I was rehabbing. So uh, I think it's uh, going to help me prepare for, for next season, hopefully in years to, uh, to come.
0: And what was that rehab process like? You know, we've heard you were down back in Arizona after being in Everett. Um, How long were you there? How long was that process? And what was it like entering the off season? Uh, I I know you've had some hamstring injuries in the past as well. Um, You know, what has it been like trying to iron all that out and get prepared for, you know, what you hope is a hundred plus games, you know, here in 2018?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, well, like you said, it was, it was definitely frustrating for a while. But um, you know, when, when we got down there, it was all about uh, you know correcting things to my body and, and making sure I'm uh, in the best shape possible and and uh, stuff like that to stay healthy throughout the entire season. Um, so it was all about creating balance in my body and and making sure my hamstrings and quads and everything was, and hips um, were working together. Um, so it, it was it was obviously tough and it was frustrating not being out there playing. Uh, but I think in the long run, it's, it's definitely going to help me uh, stay healthy and kind of yeah, kind of get uh, my body even better. Um, so I think, like I said, it was frustrating, but I think uh, it's going to benefit me in the long run, and you know, hopefully that's the case.
0: And over whether it's those fourteen games or all this prep work you're doing in the off season, um, you know, since you signed or since you even got drafted, what's been the most surprising aspect of pro ball thus far?
3: I, know, I would say it's just uh, you know getting used to playing every single day. Um, in college, obviously you play a lot, but it's not like the the pro ball grind where you you know you're playing seven days a week. Um, but I think in, in that short period of time I got to learn how, uh, how I need to prepare myself and, and stick to a routine uh, to be able to come up and, and show up to the ballpark every day ready to go and um, ready to help the team win.
2: Evan, take us back to draft day. Um, it's a, a stressful time of year, probably, but the most exciting time of year for you guys is um, as draft prospects. But at the same time, you know, it's it's so different from other sports in that you're really in the heat of things at the college level in baseball while the draft is approaching. Whereas. You know, in the NFL, somewhere like that, you've had a few months to, to kind of prepare. And, um, but for you guys, there's so much on your plate through April and May and going into June. What was that like for you? And, and going in the first round, how did that, um, you know, kind of kick things off for you as a
3: professional player? Well, there was definitely a, a lot of emotion. I think we, uh, we ended our season two days before the draft. Um, so, obviously, that was, was definitely this point coming kind of up short of our goal of, you know, making it to Omaha. Um, but we had a great season, and it was, it was great to, uh, to go out on that note with our guys. Um, so obviously it was kind of a, a lower emotion there, but then, uh, you know, you get the call, you know, two days later and, you know, hear that you're selected 17th overall and, um, by such a great organization, that was obviously the highest of the highs um, when it comes to emotion. Um, but it, it was, it was a really cool experience and, uh, we had a little draft party here with my, my uh, closest, um, friends and family. Um, so it, it was really cool and, uh, you know, I, I was glad I got to, uh, spend it with them.
2: One of the things that we talk about with a lot of guys is um, the, the success of their collegiate programs and why that is. And you were a Golden Spike, some of my finalists a few years ago, a Golden Spikes award winner and AJ Reed comes out of Kentucky. Um, you know, I mean, the SEC obviously is the SEC when it comes to baseball and there's a ton of tough programs you got to contend with. But what is it about Kentucky baseball that makes Wildcats baseball special?
3: Just the it's the it's the guys and it's the culture that you know we've created over the years. Um, You know there's, there was a great group of guys last year and even the year before that and the year before that. So really kind of forming a brotherhood with those guys and uh, that's what makes it so special playing with them and, and the coaching staff and you know going and, and giving it all you got for those guys is, is what really keeps you going uh, throughout the season. But um, you know it's a longer season than we're used to in high school. So um, when we come out of high school, it's definitely a difference. Kind of like you know getting used to the pro ball grind, playing every single day. Uh, which in high school, you play like two times a week. Um, so, you know, it, it takes a little bit of adjusting uh, once you get up there and, and start playing, you know, four or five times a week. Um, and you need to find a reason, like, to, to keep you motivated and um, plan for the guy next I think a big reason why we had such, such a successful season this past year.
0: And uh, just to go back to, you know, what you were talking about, about going in the first round this year, um, you know, you weren't drafted when you were first eligible coming out of high school. How much of that was because of your commitment to Kentucky? You know, were, were teams having discussions with you even as a high schooler? And, and what is it? What what is it like being a guy who's like maybe a background pick uh, to somebody who's going in the first round? I mean, what is that journey like?
3: Um, it was definitely a a very very interesting one, and I'm very fortunate to be uh, a part of it. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was definitely different because, uh, you know, coming out of high school, I didn't really hear much from teams at all. Um, so it, it obviously made the uh, decision to go to Kentucky very easy. Um, I was I was pretty set on going to Kentucky regardless of the situation, uh, but I, I didn't really have much of an option to uh, to go out of high school. And uh, at, that, at, t- at that time, I think I developed a lot uh, physically as well as mentally uh, from a uh, baseball uh, aspect. Um, so I think going to school was definitely the best option for me. And in my opinion, I think it's definitely the best option for a lot of guys. Um, You know, some guys are some 18-year-olds these days are built like grown men. So, obviously, that's a lot different than where I was. Um, You know, they're ready. Uh, But for me, that that wasn't the case. So, I was uh, very thankful for my time at Kentucky. and I definitely feel like it uh, prepared me for this next level.
0: And one of the ways you really matured over the last couple of years, you have two awards to show for it, was defensively uh, with your work at first base, you know, two Gold Glove awards collegiately. Uh, You know, how – How do you become such a plus defender at that position? Obviously first base isn't known as a great defensive position, um, but every scouting report you hear about you, it's that that's the first thing people talk about, is just the way you're able to be consistent and also make some pretty spectacular plays. How have you been able to grow that particular part of your game uh, during your time at Kentucky and as you start your pro career?
3: Well, I, first off, it goes back to, you know, having a lot of great coaches, um, as well as my dad, you know, along the way, um, when we first started, you know, he'd always take me out back whenever I wanted to, um, you know, give me ground balls and, and throw me picks and stuff like that. So that's, that's really where it started. Um, that's kind of where I formed the love of, you know, working um, the infield, taking ground balls, taking picks and stuff like that. Um, when I first got to Kentucky, uh, Coach Rick Eckstein uh, helped me out a lot with just kind of slowing the game down. And, and especially when I was hopping off the bag at first base, that's kind of the main thing I I remember when I first got there, it was just coming off calm and easy because you were able to see the ball um, much easier. Um, so that was a, a big part of my career and big part of my development is just slowing the game down. And um, if that's okay, if you're slowing the game down, you're going to have a much better chance of reacting and trusting your hands and stuff like that. Um, but it really all, it just goes back to uh, the repetition of practice in the off season and just doing, having a desire to, to be uh, really good at it.
0: Well, one other thing, too, is that, you know, you're- seen as having a pretty good arm and, and plus speed as well. Has there been any conversation with the Mariners about maybe a move to the outfield, you know, being able to use all those tools and get the most out of them? Because you know, some of the scouting reports I've read about you, the last time I heard somebody being that athletic at first base was Cody Bellinger, who's now playing all over the field for the, the LA Dodgers, uh, might stick back at first base, but at least they tried him in the outfield as well. Do you feel like that could be a thing you could do down the line is maybe move to a corner outfield spot?
3: You know, I think it's definitely a possibility. Um, You know, we haven't really had uh, many conversations about that at all. Um, But whatever the uh, the managers need me to do is is what I'm willing to do. So, um, you know, if they find that to be uh, the case when I'm in the outfield, um, I'm definitely more than willing to uh, to do whatever I can and put my time towards uh, being the best outfielder I can be.
2: Evan, would you look forward to a season like this? I mean, do you go into 2018 with any sort of expectations? So many guys, you know, the, the goals you said are, are personal goals and maybe it's not a certain amount of numbers specifically or, uh, you know, the benchmarks in that regard. But, you know, for your first full professional season, are you eyeing, you know, a level that you'd like to test yourself at or something like that going into 2018? How do you look forward to a season?
3: You know obviously you want to play at the uh, the highest level you can possibly play and and uh you know have room to to grow and develop uh my my goal of the season is to stay healthy and uh you know gives me as much as possible and and get as many as reps in the field as I possibly can like you said i don't I don't like uh you know putting numbers on myself uh, but really it's just going out there and, and competing every day and um my my main goal this year is trying to put my uh, best foot forward every day and be the same exact guy uh every single day when you come to the uh, to the ballpark, so um try to be as consistent as possible as a person and as a player. Um, but like you said, I'm not I'm not gonna put numbers on myself in the first full season. And I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if I'll ever put numbers on myself because I feel like if you if you focus on that and if the individual things that uh, it's not gonna you know work out. If you little things here and there, and uh, I feel like that's the numbers are all gonna play itself out um, as long as you put your best foot forward.
0: When
2: you were a kid, when you were growing up, and you got now such a diverse and wide-ranging baseball background, um, just in the stops in your career, I mean, you grew up in Columbus, Ohio, you're back in Ohio right now, went to college in Kentucky, now you're playing in the Pacific Northwest, and for a system, uh, you know, a team headquartered in the Pacific Northwest, who did you look up to as ball players when you were a kid, who'd you really like watching, and, and is there anybody that you modeled yourself after developing as a ball player?
3: Well, I grew up uh, a big Reds fan. Um, that's just, you know, my family was, was Cincinnati fans um, for as long as I can remember. So I grew up watching the Reds. Uh, so that gave me the opportunity to watch guys like uh, Kent Griffith Jr., uh, who's obviously a Mariner as well and from Ohio. Um, so I loved watching him play. Uh, but also uh, the guy I would say I watch the most now is Joey Votto because uh, I think he is, he's a very good defender. Um, and I love uh, how he hits. You know, he, not only does he have a beautiful swing, but – uh, he makes the adjustments and uh, he hits for power. He hits for average. I love watching him with two strikes. You know, seeing the mental adjustments he's making. Is cool. Um, you know, when he's up there. So I, I say those are the two guys I really look up to the most. Um, and hopefully, I get a chance to uh, meet him someday.
0: And, and when it comes to Votto, uh, I'm a big fan of watching his at bats as well. But how much are you kind of taking notes in terms of stuff? I mean, you mentioned the two strike approach. Uh, he's big on choking up on the bat to, to kind of do that. Is there any time when you're sitting down with, like, a notepad and taking notes on how guys do that or seeing how you can translate it to your game, or is it just the beauty of watching somebody, you know, dominate their craft in the way somebody like he can?
3: You know, I'd definitely say it's, uh, it's part of just watching the beauty and kind of taking you know, some mental notes. Um, you know, if I feel like I see something, uh, while I'm taking mental notes, it's, it's something I would write down. Um, and kind of play out with myself. But obviously, you know, everyone's uh, different when it comes to hitting. Um, some things work for certain guys; it doesn't work for others. So, uh, you know, it's kind of just kind of give and take, and, and taking uh, bits and pieces here and there from not only Joey Votto, who's great, but you know, other big leaguers, other great hitters I've I've seen along the way. All
0: right, I, I've got one more for you, and I, I just want you to more or less confirm a story, or at least give it to your side. And in, in doing some research for this interview, <laughs> I came across a story on from the Seattle Times, and it was a, a story told by Mariners scouting director, Scott Hunter, uh, who said he talked to you before the draft, you know, your normal stuff. He said he asked you, uh, what's the one knock you think scouts have against you? And you said, according to the story, probably my power, but I stay with my approach, which is falls into line with things I've read as well. Uh, but then he tells this, that night, God's honest truth, I went right down to the on-deck circle, and he comes out, and I'm sure he saw me, because I was standing right there, the first pitch he saw that night, he went out about 420 feet. Now, can you confirm that you <laughs> saw him in the stands with that, and that you were actually <laughs> aiming to show him something with your power in, in, in that first swing?
3: Well, I I did meet with him, like you said, the day before, so I knew he was there. Um, I I there were a few guys over there, and I believe I saw Scott over there. Um, but, you know, I, you know, trying to think about obviously, uh, focus on the bat and focus. I'm doing at the plate i'll uh, that is a, that is a true story so uh it was definitely a, I think it went well for me in, in that case so there you go
0: <laughs> very cool
3: a pretty
2: good one to be able to to tell uh getting into pro not a not a bad way to make a, an early impression on the, the big one in the organization <laughs> evan white is a second ranked prospect in the seattle mariner system according to mlb pipeline and uh you can follow him on is at Ewhite underscore 19. Evan, we can't thank you enough for the time and uh, congratulations on all the success so far and best of luck in your first full pro year, man. Enjoy every minute of it.
3: Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having me.
2: It kind of feels like it's been a quiet offseason around baseball, Major League Baseball, Minor League Baseball. We're not in a player development contract renewal year. Uh, we don't have a, a ton of ballparks. There's not a big slate of that. But we do finally, coming out of the new year, have some news about baseball teams and what their on-field products will look like in the 2018 season. And Benjamin Hill is here to discuss all of those with us. Hi, Ben. Happy New Year.
1: Hi, Tyler. Happy New Year to you and happy New Year to Sam Dykster sitting to my right. Uh, Sam Dykstra has $5.89 on his Skype account, so if, um, <laughs> if you uh, want to communicate with him, get him to pay for it.
2: You have 5.88. Uh, I have 2.88. That's weird.
0: I th- That's weird. I thought he was just saying like on my person. I have 5.89, <laughs> which is also possible. But
1: yeah. But anyway, here here we go off track. I'm I'm very good at this. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, uh, Tyler, you made reference to the on-field product, and uh, in a way, it's everything but the on-field product. We're talking about minor league promotions, and promo schedules are uh, starting to be unveiled. And my first blog of 2018, Ben's Biz blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com, the greatest minor league baseball blog of all time. Um, My first post of 2018 uh, rounds up some of the schedules that have been released thus far. So this is a good sign. You know, it's frigid right now. It's frigid in New York where we're taping this. It's frigid all over the country. But the release of promo schedules really gets you thinking about the season to come and is uh, one of my uh, first indications of spring. So uh, I let off that post with the Potomac Nationals, who for years uh, have been pretty over the top with their promotions, often combining their players and various animals into hybrid bobbleheads. And events um, that don't yeah. even exist in their state, apparently. Right, a lot of strange stuff. They did the uh, Tommy John surgery. Um, the Tommy John arm statue the last year,
2: ligament. Or yeah, whatever with was, the yeah. Uh,
1: removable UCL, which is uh, pretty cool. So uh, they actually released it right at the end of the holidays. Um, you know, kind of buried it on like December 22nd or whatever. So at the time, I was like, man, it's the holidays. It's still 2017. Can't deal with this. But then I came back all refreshed and ready to go and said, hey, let's look at this. Let's write about this. And uh, so they got some real good stuff. Some of the stuff I highlight in the blog is the 30th anniversary celebration of Bull Durham with Robert Wool in attendance that he uh, played Hockett in the film. Then they're also giving away a Victor Robles Rob Job bobblehead. And because it's on Bull Durham night, I thought Rob Job was some kind of –
0: Was a left fielder. Yeah,
1: like some Bull Durham reference I wasn't remembering. But it's just a different crazy giveaway that happens to be on Bull Durham Night, um, referencing a spectacular catch that Victor Robles made. Um, anyway, last year the uh, Potomac Nationals gave away a uh, Bryce Harper gobblehead for a uh, Thanksgiving promotion. Uh, this year a Bryce Harper giveaway um, is taking place in conjunction with Greece Night. Greece turns 40 in 2018, so they're giving a slicked back hair bryce harper bobblehead I mean real slick, a real slicked back hair i don't think that means real slicked, slicked. back <laughs> hair. oh yeah, yeah. If, if this is a real slicked back hair bobblehead oh, then, we're, yeah, then we're going into truly a uh, different territory but uh greece slicked back yeah and that's more apropos for bryce harper than maybe him being a half pilgrim half turkey for a thanksgiving promotion but that's not ridiculous put a hyphen but, in there
2: slicked back hyphenated slicked back. back yeah, yeah it it a little yeah. bit easier to understand than back hair
1: Exactly. But uh, anyway, uh, it'll be on Grease Night. And, uh, you know, longtime listeners, readers of my uh, material will remember that I went to Frisco last year and they did a Grease Night um, just pretty randomly because it wasn't an anniversary. And uh, Frenchie from the film Didi Khan was at the ballpark. So I'm hoping to see her at more uh, Grease Night um, promotions in 2018 if her schedule allows. Potomac has not announced that, but Hope Springs Eternal. I became a big fan of DidiCon, even though I've never seen Greece. And uh, another movie I've never seen is The Sandlot. They are the Potomac Nationals are celebrating The Sandlot uh, on August 4th with Chauncey Squince Leah Party in attendance with a Squince bobblehead giveaway. So, uh, tons of stuff to talk, uh, to check out with Potomac. Uh, they are the leaders in the early going in terms of most jam-packed uh, promo schedule for sure.
0: Well, one of one of the ones that they have that I actually want to hear Tyler's thoughts on that I am enthused by is the Cosmo Kramer Appreciation Night. What do you think that's going to look like? Because some of these other ones have bobblehead or like autograph tie-ins. Like Michael Richard's not going to be there, or at least it seems. So, Tyler, what do you think Kramer Night is going to look like?
2: Well, and that's – they did um, George Costanza Appreciation Night last year. Um, and really came up with some good stuff. I mean, I would imagine, you know, the low hanging fruit for a, a Kramer night is like a, a lot of Kramerica Industries kind of things or the, the Kramer reality bus tour uh, or the Peterman reality bus tour. So I would think there's probably that. But what really impressed me about it was they went like some deep cuts with the George Costanza night. Um, so I'm hoping there's like a Kessler reference. Uh, Kramer's name and the pilot of Seinfeld was actually Kessler because. Cosmo Kramer is named after Larry David's real-life former neighbor, Kenny Kramer, and they thought they were going to get sued if they called the character Kramer, but Jerry Seinfeld just thought it was such a perfect name that he just changed it after the pilot to Kramer anyway and said, all right, we'll deal with it. And then later on... That was the inspiration for the Peterman reality bus tour episode of Seinfeld because the real-life Kenny Kramer still to this day runs a Kramer reality bus tour in New York City in which he drives around and like points out sites from his life. So I would think like they were so good with that George Costanza one last year. I'm really excited to see what the details are for, uh, for Cosmo Kramer night. All right. All
1: right. Very cool. Once those are unveiled, we will let you know. You'll be the first to know,
2: Tyler. be the first to know. The uh, Toledo Mudhens um, also released theirs. Uh, they uh, put a, a tweet out uh, with their promo schedule in which – there's no reference to Star Wars in the tweet, but there's a, a man just dressed in an all-gold jumpsuit who uh, apparently is supposed to be C-3PO, but out of context, it's a really creepy picture. Um, but what I like about the Mudhens Hens is uh, they are celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' The White Album. Last year, they celebrated the 50th anniversary of Sgt. Peppers. Um, so somebody in that front office is a, is a Beatles fan, apparently.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is smart. They got a lot of traction with uh, Sgt. Peppers, which the Fresno Grizzlies uh, also commemorated last year with their own theme jerseys. That led to a uh, contentious uh, back and forth on Twitter about who did it first and who did it better. But this year, definitely uh, first Beatles jersey announcement, that coveted distinction goes to Toledo, who are celebrating the White Album. And I mean, I made a joke in the blog, but what's a White Album jersey going to look like except just just white completely white so uh but that's a good one and it's a smart way to continue a band as iconic as the beatles um you know sergeant peppers is a big one but you, you know why not celebrate a white album this year and whatever they released in 69 and 69 and then uh, after 1970 um when it comes to beatles promos you'll have to let it be
0: uh, there you go see the, I, now looking at it, just reminding myself of what the white album was it that's the nickname. It's actually still called the Beatles. So maybe they should just do a white shirt that just says the Mudheads. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then the unders on the back. I think that's that's gotta be what they do. Like the easy thing is just to wear their home jerseys and say this is technically the White Album night. Like, <laughs> I have more trust in Toledo than that, right? They just got they-
1: Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So much uh, TBD, uh, but that's a big one from Toledo. Um, I also uh, focused on Omaha, who are celebrating their 50th anniversary uh you know in the pcl as a franchise as a royals affiliate you know they've been a a, a real uh, bulwark a stalwart in omaha and uh, so part of their 50th anniversary they announced a series of uniforms they will be wearing um celebrating all eras of the franchise history so they'll wear the throwback uh omaha royals jerseys they'll wear some uh storm chasers jerseys from 2011 and they will even go back to the oft forgotten about golden spikes era of 1999 through 2001 and wear some golden spikes jerseys because uh, they were the omaha royals for decades then the golden spikes for three years then back to the royals for another decade and then the storm chasers
0: yeah you called it the oft maligned golden spikes i think in the, in the post why was it maligned was it just because it went away from the royals i mean golden spikes is like a great name for a team in Omaha.
1: I don't know the story. Uh, we could certainly uh, talk to some Omaha, Omaha I actually veteran. have
2: uh, a bit of an insight on that. I, back in my days when I was working in minor league front offices, I actually interviewed with Omaha at one time. And in a tour of Werner Park, I was talking with, um, I think, their assistant general manager at that point. And we had walked by a schedule in the hallway, and it was a Golden Spike schedule. And I asked him about that. And basically, it seems like it was a, a late 90s, early 2000s, brandiose style freakout in which people just the, the name Omaha Royals had been so long-term, so legendary in that community. They had been known as the Royals for however long. So when they switched to Golden Spikes, it was such a departure from the norm that people freaked out and hated it. To their credit, they stuck with it for three seasons, but the backlash, you know, similarly to what they would deal with later on when they ended up switching over to Storm Chasers, the backlash was so pronounced and continued for those three years that finally I think it just said, alright, screw it, and they went back to being the Royals. But the thing that also stood out to me about the post is the jerseys say spikes across the front and had they stuck with that you would have had two teams in the minor leagues with a name some variation of spikes with state college in omaha which how often do you actually say the word spikes in everyday life that would have been very strange to have two spike related teams but yeah it was kind of one of those um very early on freakouts that they tried to stick with unlike you know new hampshire with the primaries for example a few years later who mothballed that before it ever came to fruition
1: yeah, you know, what could have been? You know, we can ask that all the time with minor league baseball. I actually wrote a screenplay about a uh, a future that's not too dissimilar from ours in which there were two teams named Spikes in the minor <laughs> league landscape. And uh, um, yeah, it, hopefully it'll get green lit. <laughs> well, let's move it on
2: to um, some news out of the New York Penn League. Batting around is coming up this week. And again, like we were saying, it's kind of a quiet offseason, but Batavia, an update.
1: Yeah, Batavia muck dogs. I mean, uh, again, if you follow minor league baseball, you know that the New York Penn League as a whole has, uh, you know, wildly, not wildly, but uh, greatly expanded its geographical footprint over the last 15, 17 years and, uh, you know, gone to a whole lot of states outside of the New York Penn League. And the teams that are often relocating are the traditional New York Penn League markets, uh, especially in western New York. Uh, you know, with stagnant or declining populations that no longer can really support minor league baseball. And, uh, you know, the only charter member of the league left is Batavia, you know, who are now the muck dogs. And they've been struggling for a lot of years to draw. They didn't even top 30,000 in 2017 over 34, 35 home dates. And, um, there's, all, there's been a long-running question, you know, what's going to end up with Batavia because it doesn't seem like a sustainable uh, situation. It's not a sustainable situation. For the last 10 years, there's been a unique arrangement where the Rochester Red Wings, you know, who are located near Batavia, uh, they assume day-to-day operations of the team in exchange for a 5% stake of the franchise each year in which they did that so they've done that for 10 years now own half of the team the other half is owned by the uh, community group in uh in in batavia and after 10 years of this now that the red red wings have a 50 percent stake um the league has said this can't go on any longer um we're, we're not up to uh you know just basic operating standards both facility and financially that we need to be so the league is taking control of batavia looking for a buyer And uh, even 2018 right now is a little bit of a question in terms of where the team will end up. Although the big question is, as much as um, everyone but hardcore Batavia fans think think they need to get out of Batavia, where is that? You still need an acceptable minor league quality facility in which for them to move. So um, almost certainly they will be the next New York Penn League team to relocate. It's just a question of where, but... um, Now the process seems like it'll be even more expedited with the league taking control of the franchise. So I got a little bit about that in uh, batting around. But like you said, a slow – check that out, Thursday, MILB.com. But a pretty slow offseason.
0: And uh, one thing we should touch on quickly, we got a reader question or a listener question. Reader and listener. I'm going to say he's he's both.
1: No, he can't read. That's why he listens to the podcast. Uh, That's fair enough. Wait, but he sent an email. He did send an email and he Uh, responded
0: to our email. So uh, I'm going to uh, go ahead and say he both reads and listens to all (laughs) of our work. Uh, Kevin Delaria. I hope I'm saying that right. Delaria. uh, Apologies, Kevin. But Kevin wrote into the podcast. You all can do that. Uh, Podcast at MILB.com. We love hearing your questions, thoughts, any type of concerns you have. Bring it to us. Uh, Hopefully we can get you some answers. Uh, He reached out to us saying he had attended an event, an off-season event in Reading this year, and he was kind of wondering what do teams do or what do front offices do really uh, during the off-season? A lot of that goes into promo work. It goes into prepping for the season. But also, do they do off-season gigs uh, to kind of keep people around, keep people busy, that kind of stuff? Um, So Ben, kind of take it from there.
1: Well, you know, that's a question that is – as i respond to that email um it really depends like everything in minor league baseball if you're a rookie level team you have literally one employee in an old ballpark and uh you're just kind of keeping things afloat and getting some sponsorship and whatnot but a lot of new stadiums are for year-round events so you have people who work you know full-time year-round as event planners and organizers uh in addition to of course all the um marketing sponsorship promo schedule just all the legwork that needs to be done a massive amount of work that most people don't really uh think of when they think of a baseball season, but uh, in a lot of ways you hear team employees say the season is not the easy part per se, but, um, you know, you've laid the groundwork. It's kind of like, you know, we did all the rehearsals for the show and now the show starts. Um, But, you know, we're going to dive into this question a little bit next week. I'll put the question out on Twitter, get some various team responses to get a little more insight on that. It's a subject I've written about in the past, but I do know that anyone who works in baseball, um, you know, whether they're us whether it's front office employees, whether it's players, you know, they kind of come to dread the question. So, what do you do in the off Because there's this basic, um, you know, civilian, you know, non-baseball assumption. I mean, we're all civilians, but um, that you know, during the off season, you wouldn't have anything to do. But it's a year-round job for everyone in baseball in various capacities. And uh, yeah, so I'll put that question out, and we'll have um, a range of answers for you next week. I was going to say
0: it obviously varies from team to team. Not just level to level in terms of, like you said, rookie and all that kind of stuff, but like a triple A team might differ from another triple another A team. Right.
1: You can't generalize anything in minor league baseball. Or if you do, it'll come back to haunt you. I'm always saying making generalizations when I can and then having someone say, well, that's not how we do it. It's very hard in minor league baseball to say something, a blanket statement that doesn't ruffle someone's feathers because there's so many different situations.
2: So many different feathers. He's Benjamin Hill. You can find him on Twitter at Ben's Biz. The blog is bensbiz.mlblogs.com. You can check out Batting Around today uh, as you're listening to this, if you're listening to it on the day that the podcast drops, which is Thursday. Um, And uh, more stuff coming to the blog as well. Ben, thanks,
1: man. Hey, thank you, Sam, Tyler. And Tyler, we're glad you're back on Twitter after your hiatus. We very much missed you. No, you're not.
2: Final segment of the show before the show, episode number 141, our first one of the calendar year 2018. A big thanks again to Evan White for joining the show. You can find him on Twitter at White underscore 19. And, um, yeah, it's uh, it's still – we're four seasons in to this podcast. This year will be our fourth season. And I still, over the off season never have any idea what to say in the last segment. Because ordinarily during the season, we're like, oh, here's what's coming up on MLB TV. Here's what we've got our eye on. Over the off season. I still – I'd never know what to say.
0: <laughs> well, I was gonna say we could we could do our own resolutions, like oh, that's true. Resolution. Like I remember last year, last year I don't know why I said it that way. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Ben was like, "Oh yeah, you guys always talk about personal stuff, and then you turn on the microphone." Um, I don't know what mine would be though. No, yeah, that's a thing. the thing. I say <laughs> I started out that thought, and then I was like, "No, I don't really have." That.
2: We could do it. I uh, just uh, I don't have one. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. I. I try to be a better person by the end of the year than I was at the beginning of the year. And I think I've for the most part been able to take those steps over the last few years, which is the most generic goal possible. But like, you know, it's. Uh, I think it's. That's the ultimate goal for anybody at any time, and so that's my. That's my big picture thing from year to year. But I never have like. A, well, I guess I take that back. I do have one thing that's like a specific goal laid out that I want to do. Um, Josh Jackson and I have had this conversation many a time, but I last year I set myself a very modest reading challenge because, as Sam knows, as many of you know who follow us on on Twitter or whatever, we all have super weird schedules like working in sports just makes you have a weird schedule and I've got 900 jobs. And so I think I have probably a weirder schedule even than a lot of people. Um, but I set myself a goal of reading just a book a month. I wanted to get through 12 books in 2017, and I did it. I finally knocked out book number 12 um, at the like the second or third week in December. Got it done. Very happy about it. And then I was in the midst of finishing off another couple of books, which carried over, and now will just be two easy ones to finish to start 2018. But So I did 12 in 2017. I'm going to up that to 15. I'm going to try to get 15 in 2018.
0: That's good. What are it you starting with? It manageable. Yeah, you know? for sure. I'm
2: <laughs> reading um, – I'm currently reading two different ones. I'm reading uh, a book by Marcus Aurelius, the Roman emperor, called Meditations, which is just a bunch of maxims about – how to live a good life like how to be a good person how to be trusting and respectful of people what to think about you know if you have an impression of someone why would you invent things in your head about what they think about you um you know just a lot of like bite-sized pieces of like oh man that is brilliant uh and so that's been really cool um surprisingly I don't even know what made me get that book but it's been a fascinating book to read and then I'm also reading a novel called The Narrow Road to the Deep North, which is about Australian prisoners of war in the Pacific during World War II, and I'm very shortly into it, um, but it's really, really good so far. And then I've also been reading um, another book called Scorecasting, which is basically, and I would really recommend this for anybody who listens to this show. A lot of it is not about baseball, but the principles apply equally as fascinatingly. It's basically Freakonomics for sports, and the first chapter is about um, the way umpires hitters and pitchers handle different counts what pitch gets called a ball or a strike in a certain count how a hitter will approach a full count if he started the at bat up 3-0 rather than down 0-2 and vice versa for a pitcher if he started ahead in the count 0-2 versus if he started behind 3-0 and then was able to get the count full there's some really really fascinating stuff it's all data driven it's all analytic stuff um I'd really recommend it to anybody who's interested in that type of thing it's called scorecasting it's fantastic
0: what about you? you very cool. I mean, mine is um, kind of in the same vein as your, your book one, except with movies. Um, okay, also good. My own little thing real fast is I, I signed up for Movie Pass, which yes. I can't recommend enough. Same. Uh, especially for some of you who might be living in urban areas where movies are inordinately expensive, uh, 15 or 16 bucks. Uh, this costs like eight or nine bucks a month. Uh, I got the yearly pass, so that's what it worked out to be. I'm not it might be like 10 or 12 if you go month to month. But you basically get to go to one 2D movie for, for, or not for free, but one 2D movie a day, right? Uh, and it pays for itself very easily and quickly. Yeah. Um, and I, it's always been my goal to kind of knock off as many Oscar movies as I can a year, and and try to actually have opinions on that kind of stuff. And also, it just makes you kind of in a similar way to reading a book. It, it makes you a more not learned person, but you feel more more cultured. You get to see other perspectives, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so I got to see star Wars twice. I've gotten to see uh, a lot of the more independent movies the last couple of weeks, uh, which has me excited. It may men, I got to see that Winston Churchill movie with my dad. Um, and we just got a bigger bag of popcorn, you know, stuff <laughs> like that. Like just, just trying to get myself out there and, and consume more. Yeah. Um, cause like you were saying before, you try to be a better person by the end of the year than you were at the beginning. I think that happens if, as long as you're thinking about it all year round, that can happen. But that only happens through more experience. Yeah. If you're doing the same things over and over again, it doesn't, that's not going to happen. If you just say like, I'm a better person, you, you're not unless right. you change some things about you, right. yourself. Uh, and that starts with getting yourself out there more. So I think generically that's kind of it is just trying to allow myself to take in more stuffs, more different types of stuff uh, that can start with movies that will hopefully expand to books. I've got my own list. Uh, the first one is the grant book the Ulysses oh, S. Grant yeah. book, biography um, stuff like that so yeah it, specifically it's it's to consume more movies this year uh, generically it's just to can get myself out there a little bit more see some parts of the world or um, parts of life that I haven't done yet so
2: I like we'll it. see how that goes. I like it. Um, yeah, and we're not, we're not sponsored by MoviePass, but I would also very much recommend MoviePass because <laughs> it's awesome. MoviePass, actually, the Denver market was one of two. When MoviePass launched, they only launched in Denver and in Boston. And it initially, I think it was like $39 a month, and it was still worth it. If you went to three or four movies a month, it was still worth it. Then they got a bunch of investors on board. Now it's like 10 bucks a month. It's awesome. Um, so, yeah, you could be nerds like us, which there hasn't been a great baseball movie in a while. 25 years since the Sandlot we were talking about earlier. There needs to be yeah, a great what, baseball. What was the last
0: great I baseball? Know, I
2: don't know. I don't know what the last great one. You know, Moneyball had its moments.
0: But oh, I, I love call the, that. I'm going to say Moneyball. You'll say
2: Moneyball? Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. I mean – 42 was good. I enjoyed yeah, 42. Yeah, 42
2: was good. I did it was like a little 42. too cut and dry for me. Yeah, it was very formulaic. Um, there was a little movie, if, if anybody has seen this or hasn't seen it and, and can track it down, um, there was a movie that's probably... 10 years old by now, Um, but it was – yeah, it came out in 2008 called Sugar, Um, and it was about – it was a drama about uh, a pitcher named Miguel Santos who was from from San Pedro de Macari in the Dominican Republic, and basically – his acclamation to playing in the minor leagues. Um, and it was, it was outstanding. Um, I haven't seen it in a long time, but it's a really, really good movie. And it's the type of thing that makes you think about a lot of aspects of minor league baseball that you ordinarily would never think about, especially from the perspective of the Latin American ball players. So if you can find sugar somewhere, I don't know if it's on any streaming services, but if you can find it, I I really highly recommend it as far as lesser known baseball movies go. Yes, for sure. You know, there we're off in the weeds. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, this has been a fun one. The first one of 2018 in the books, and we will be right back at it with you next week. um I will be uh, in North Dakota, so get excited!
0: <laughs> you can hear the winds of North Dakota whistling in the background.
2: Get excited! It's gonna be great. He's Sam Dester. I'm Tyler Mon. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>